Hi, everyone, and welcome to Consulting with Authority. This is Scott Cantrell. Uh, very delighted and frankly privileged to be joined by my guest today. This is someone who I met not too long ago, but um, from our initial conversation and from me uh, going through quite a bit of his work that he has made available online through his blog and newsletter, we could we could do uh, an entire podcast. Forget one or two episodes. We could do episode after episode uh, with this gentleman, and I know that everyone would get value out of it. Um, uh, let me just go ahead and introduce him without any further ado, and we'll dive in. Rashad Tabakawala, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on your show. Excellent. Uh, I should let everyone know, Rashad, that you are an author, a speaker, an advisor. Um, one of the clients that you, ad you advise is the publicist group who you served and worked directly with for 38 years. Uh, you've done a lot in your career. You've had a lot of impact uh, just by looking online. I found a number of different videos, many of which I watched and took uh, good notes on. Uh, would you mind kind of giving a, a general uh, background or a quick biographical sketch of how you got to where you are and what you're doing now. Absolutely. So, yeah, very quickly, I grew up in India. I did a degree in mathematics. I uh, came to the University of Chicago for an MBA. Got a job at an advertising called advertising agency called Leo the Net. Thought I'd stay there for three to four years. Ended up working either at Leo Burnett or a company that bought the Leo Burnett company in its expanded form called the Publicist Group for my entire full-time working career or when I was working for a company. Two, and about two years ago, I left Publicist and became a, to, to start my second career. So I wasn't retiring, I was starting a second career. And my first career, which was successful, lasted 38. And my success, second career has been two years. And that second career was about writing. Uh, I love, love writing. So I had the opportunity to write a book for called Restoring the Soul of Business, Take Human in the Age of Data, which was published globally by HarperCollins. I write a email thought letter that goes out every Sunday, which you've referred to, which is at rashad.substack.com. And unlike the book, which you can't get for free, the newsletter is free. Uh, and uh, and then I also uh, write occasionally, or my writing gets picked up by various periodicals, both in the United States or around the world. So that's sort of my writing career. I have a speaking career, which includes teaching, mm -hmm. speaking at events, speaking at boards um, and company offsites. And then I have an advising career. Um, component of my career. And there I advise large companies like publicists where I used to work, um, private equity and startups. So basically what connects all those is I try to help people see if they can feel differently about how to grow themselves, their companies or their business, I mean the, the, themselves, their teams or their business. And that connects my writing, my speaking and advising. And so far my career too has turned out to be so far successful. Good, good. That's uh, a fantastic recap. And um, I, I would just reiterate what you said and encourage everyone to, to find you online and to subscribe to your newsletter. Um, there's tremendous insight there. And there's such, uh, at this point, you have tremendous quantity yeah. of, of content available. But what I was just telling you before we started recording is one of the things that I really appreciate about your particular newsletter is um, that where so many thought leaders or experts today or so-called experts today try to bombard their respective subscriber list with something new every day or, or multiple times a day, right. your newsletter comes out on a weekly basis. And at least in my experience, reading through a number of the back issues uh, is always very, very high quality. So I definitely prefer quality over quantity. And uh, you're certainly delivering that. Like, thank you. Yeah, may, maybe just really quickly, because it's on my mind and I, I suspect it would benefit everyone else too. Talk a little about your process in developing that newsletter, um, maybe from a subscriber standpoint, growing it over time, but but in particular, the content, how do you kind of think through sure. that and where it comes so, from every week? Yeah. So, you know, one of the key things, the, the newsletter started really as an experiment in me trying to learn uh, new things. And I was seeing 
a lot of writers I admired leaving their places of work, whether it's the Atlantic Magazine, New York Times, or Verge, and start the, the, and use this platform called Substack. Uh, and so I investigated Substack and I figured out that it was a combination of a content management system, an email delivery system, and a payment system. And so individuals could actually get people to pay them to write on a weekly or biweekly or whatever basis. Um, uh, however, I also found, and you know, if you do that, Substack takes 10% of whatever you make. Mm-hmm. But Substack also allows you to use their model and pay them nothing if you charge nothing. And so I did not have the delusion that people are going to pay for my writing. So I said, why don't I just start writing to see how Substack works? Sure. And I thought I was going to do it randomly. I thought I was going to do it, you know, once in a month as an experiment. So I began on August 1 of 2020. So that's about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And August 1, I just put out a post in social media saying I was planning to write a Substack. I was going to call it the future didn't fit in the containers of the past. And that was it. And if people would like to receive it, they could sign up. Sure. So the first thing that I did, which was very different than what most people do, is I did not send my Rolodex, my email list, my writing. I said I was going to write something, but there was going to be this free thought letter. It was going to be called this. And if they were interested in getting it, they would have to go to this address and put their email in. So that'll explain something that happens later. Mm-hmm. But in effect, my old stuff was, it's completely opt-in. Yeah, right. Nobody's getting anything that they don't want. Another right. is I said, it's completely free and free in every form in that it's free in it's, there's no subscription, there's no advertising, there's no affiliate marketing, there's no upselling, there's no news, uh, uh, the, 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 there's nothing. Uh, it's just content. Uh, and I said, the reason it's free is because I actually am charging you something and I get something. So what I'm charging you is five to six minutes of your time, mm-hmm. uh, which is valuable. So I'm charging you, if you're going to spend six minutes reading my stuff, it's six minutes of your life. Uh, and second is if I do a good job in those six minutes, it'll make you feel good about me. It'll increase my reputation, goodwill. Right. And that's worth more to me than getting $5 a month from you. Right. Okay? So that was a model that I basically built this on. And I wrote my first piece on August 16th, because between August 1 and August 16th, I had 500 people who had opted in to receive this. I wrote it on a Sunday. I enjoyed the process. And the following Sunday, I wrote it again. And then people wrote to me saying they loved getting it on Sunday. But why was I getting it? Why was the first Sunday they got it at nine o'clock in the morning? And why was it the second Sunday they got it at 12 (laughs) o'clock? What was happening? And I said, that's because I write it on Sunday. Depends on when I get to write it. Mm. They said, no, you should write it at the same time because we either have coffee with it or whatever. They said, you should have a routine. We love Sundays as a day, Mm. but you should just have it at the same time. Sure. And we'll decide when we want to read it. So then I started writing it on Saturdays in order to issue it at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So I publish it at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sundays, write it on Saturdays. So the process is very simple. Mm-hmm. And I got into this weekly habit. So now we are 54 Sundays since August 16th when the first one came out. Yep. Uh, so we're just over a year. And the process is the following. People send me ideas about what they'd like me to write about. I look at those ideas and I decide if I can actually say anything valuable about those ideas uh, or different or helpful. And then I choose one and then for all week long, I think about it. I might read about stuff. I might think about it. I may look at my own history about it. And then on Saturday, I spend three hours writing what turns out to be 1,500 words on average. Sometimes 1,000, sometimes it's 2,000. But it's about 1,500 words. I spent three hours writing it. Uh, if you're a quick reader, it'll take you about six minutes to read it. 
So I spend three hours, you give me six minutes. Mm-hmm. But my three hours is built on a lifetime of learning, which your know, six minutes, obviously six minutes real life, but it should hopefully help you. So I keep in mind that I'm taking six minutes of people's time. They should be no longer than 1,500 to 2,000 words. And the third, which is the big thing, is who am I writing for? Mm-hmm. So I'm not writing for a title. I'm not writing for an industry. I'm not writing for an age level or a country. I'm writing for someone who's a human who wants to get better. Okay. And so my stuff is, this is my best thinking about how you can get better. Which leads me to how my topics actually, at the end of one year, I began to realize filled for readers. There were actually five but four of them are long-term helps you get better. The fifth one, I hope we won't talk about much in the future. So the fifth is bunches of stuff around this thing called COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. So I've written about, out of my 54 writings, I've written about COVID about five times. So this t- is 10% of my writing is about COVID. And, but they've been very different. So it has started with how to think about it, which I've called the great reinvention to the most recent one, which is number four or number five, which I called the jigsaw of return, Mm. which is why it's going to be very difficult to get people back into the offices the way it used to be. Sure. So those are the sort of the COVID pieces, but broadly the four broad areas are number one, what will the future look like? And if you think about it, regardless of the country, the industry or the human being, everybody would like to have some anticipation of the future what it looks like. Yeah, the second question is very important. <laughs> yes, because we spend our rest of our lives there. Second is, how do we navigate change? We're all going through change. It's not just COVID, it's technology, it's demographic shifts, it might be growing up, it might be leaving a city, but how do you neg- navigate change is a second area. A third area is what people are struggling with is how do they be better leaders, especially in a world where Followers will not be given to you. People won't follow titles. You may not even in companies ever physically be in the same space as the people. So you won't able to like hover around them. So how do you lead? Right. And the last one is how do you upgrade your mental operating system or how do you grow as a person? And what I discovered is that's what I was eventually writing about. So the process is very simple. I'm writing for humans who want to get better. I want to basically give them something valuable that's worth them spending six to eight minutes of their time every Sunday. The four areas that I can write about, which what I write about, which I'm good at, and what they read and they give me positive feedback are these four topics. And that's been the process that I followed and it's turned out to be good in three ways. And this is something I've learned which is quite unique, the second and third point. The first one is just a fact. So the fact is I, I've grown it from 500 subscribers to 9,200 subscribers Wow! in one year. Again, it's all opted and mm-hmm. it's free. So uh, the second is my open rate, which is on average, uh, a very high open rate, which is at any given week, 40% of my emails are read. That's amazing. Right? And the reason for it is two reasons. Reason number one is because it's all opt-in. Mm-hmm. So right. you asked for it. I didn't basically start setting it to you. Right. Right. Uh, which means the number of people in the course of a week who actually opt out, right? Out of my 9,000 base, I would say that in a week, I might lose 20 people. Yeah, But in that small. same week, I'll add 200 people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one is because it was opted. Second, and thank you for saying so, is because the content is good. So right. people like receiving it, but not only is it good, it's different each week. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people who don't have much to say, so they repeat the same thing. And because I'm also not commenting on things that other people are, so I don't do, I don't cover the news. I don't mm-hmm. cover none of that, right? Um, the other one that is interestingly written is I have a point of view, which happens to be about kindness and generosity and a belief in science, right? Mm-hmm. But I do not write for any particular political agenda. Yeah. 
Uh, so if you're a Democrat, Republican, old, young, regardless of where your country is, I'm writing to the human in you. Right. I'm not enraging you with writing about anything, right? So the closest I get to, let's say, politics, if I might say that, mm -hmm. is, you know, my basic belief is COVID is like gravity. It doesn't care whether you believe it or not. Right. Jump out of a window, you're going to die. Yeah. Right. So COVID doesn't care if you believe it or not. It's there. Right. So it's the closest I get to politics, but there's much more science, which right. is, hey, if you want to succeed, it's kind of good to sometimes look around and face reality. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but outside of that, I don't get into any, you know, politics. Because I don't have to get people, my, my, my job is to make people feel better, not pe get people angry, right. right? I want people to say, I never thought about this, right? Well, even when they disagree with me, it's like, I, this guy's telling me something intriguing. I really don't think he's right, but it's not like I don't think he's right because he's an idiot. It's like, I don't think he's right. I don't think he's thought it through. Right. But people are like calm and obviously, obviously I'm not, Right, many of the times, but it's not like because he's coming with some agenda. It's just the guy doesn't know how to think or something of the sort, right? Right, uh, right. And and so that has been also very valuable when you like respect your audience. You don't get political, and it's not. I mean, that's not. I'm not saying people shouldn't be political, but that's not what I'm good at, and that's all people have come to ask me to right. read about, right? Yeah. And by the way, and I don't have anything particularly to add. That is a benefit versus when other people write about politics. Um, mm -hmm. But on these areas, I think my voice and the way I look at stuff is very unusual. Uh, and it's unusual because it's very, very tight. I spent three hours writing five minutes worth of stuff. Yeah. It takes you five minutes, but I spent three hours sculpting every sentence. And then the other thing that I did, which you noticed, is just in case people didn't like reading me, I started adding pictures, mm -hmm. right? The diagram. Remember how they would basically say that in some magazines, you know, you, I read them for the articles. <laughs> right. So yeah. you know, maybe people just look at it for my pictures and the pictures aren't myself, my own. Now, once in a while, I might have a graph of things, but each week I introduce a new artist. It might be a painter, a sculptor, mostly photographers. Uh, and, and so what I've now done is I've said, okay, here's six minutes or something very valuable, which I think is valuable to read. But if you don't think so, you are six amazing pieces of art you can look at in those five minutes while you say, what's this guy talking about today? <laughs> that has tended to work really well. And the other number that's, the, the number that's unique is while I have a 40% open rate, you might end up therefore by saying, I've got 3,600 readers a week. But the actual number of readers a week are between 12 and 25,000. And, and that's for three reasons. One is sharing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Both I share on social media so you can get to it without subscribing. People who get it, share it with their organizations or share it with their friends. And then the third is I take my stuff and though I publish it on Substack, I also for free give it to people like Adweek and others to republish on their websites. And I also publish on WordPress, which I then automatically using Anchor convert into into do a podcast, yeah. uh, and so therefore I have multi-channel in whatever way, and I also put it on a blog. So in effect, my stuff is in whichever way you want it. I have it, right, and it's free. Whichever way you want to come to it, you come to it, and that is another learning, which is not only respect people's time, give them content that they think is very valuable, right sweat over their details, give them a little bit of entertainment with stuff, but make it easy for them to access it in any way they want. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The accessibility point I think is especially important when it comes to, uh, as you may remember when we had our conversation previously, being in the authority marketing place and working yeah. with coaches and consultants to help them get clarity around their content and then put it out in the marketplace. Uh, it's one thing to have quality content. That's a heavy lift in and of itself. And we talked about the importance of that. It's another thing to get that content in front of an audience in a meaningful way. And, and yes, 
one media channel is good, but three is better, five or six is even better. Yeah, and especially when, so so far what I've not done, but I'm about to do at Mm -hmm. some stage when I decide to, so far all that I've done is I've produced once and distributed in different ways. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And in one particular case, when I put it on WordPress, I press a button, it automatically gets translated into a podcast. That's great. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I've written once and I just repasted or reposted. I, so it's, yes, it's on Substack. Yes, it's on WordPress. Yes, it's on Scrollstack. But the other is when people say, hey, this is really good. I say, if you want, you can use it. You can't use any of the art unless it's my own photographs because I don't charge anything. And therefore, no, and I point to the artist. So the artist can't come to me and say, you're making money from me. I say, look, I'm advertising. Mm-hmm. I'm using your art, but I'm telling everybody it's your art and I'm sending it to your website. They can buy stuff. And I'm not making a dollar from your art. It's not that anybody has come to me, but it's pretty good. So if people, I said, you can get all my stuff for free, but you can't use the art because it's not mine. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but you can mm-hmm. use it to build your own customer whenever you want. Yeah. So that's how ad- advertising week, media village have used me. So in all of these things, I've only written once and I've distributed across many platforms. Right. And then with, you know, WordPress, I can push a button and make it into a Spotify podcast. So again, that doesn't take any more work. So the three hours of work I do writing it once, I just add more and more channels to it cost effectively. But what it does is it brings greater numbers of readers. Right. And because my goal is to help people, but the other goal in addition to helping people is, was I wanted to learn how to do all of this. So by doing it, I learn. Sure. But the other one, my real benefits is I build goodwill. And Mm -hmm. because I build goodwill, I help people and I build goodwill. But because I build goodwill, I get invited to speak to people. I get invited as an advisor. So this is also a business building vehicle. Absolutely. Right. But the the number of people from whom I get business among the 25,000, mm-hmm. right, is less than 0.01%. So most of it is just an act of goodwill. Sure, sure. And, but I mean, the reality is that 0.01%, I can't speak for you, but you can affirm this or, or otherwise, but I would imagine that the quality and the caliber of the conversations that you have because of the work you're putting out are oh, at, yeah. the highest it, level. at the highest level. And they're also extremely remunerative. I mean, of people course. pay a lot, right? Yeah. And, or I get invites. Like for instance, you know, you might have read something, then you further read my stuff to say, okay, is this guy as an idiot as he looks like, right? Yeah. At least just maybe he's a little less idiotic. Maybe I'll have him on my show. Sure. Yeah. Right? And so what happens is that's a benefit of my writing. So while you're not paying me for the show, right? I get access to your audience. Right. Right. Even if your audience doesn't buy anything, some people may say, oh, we saw this guy. He's not bad. He's good. Right. right. And nobody knows how many months from now or many years from now, someone is a role and they say, we've heard th- about this person. Precisely. Actually read his stuff and he's okay. He's good. Not bad. Right. right. And the person who's asking it is trying to decide whether to hire me or not for a speaking gig or something of the sort. Right. right. So that's what I try to tell people. If you put out good stuff out there, which helps people. Yeah. It will eventually work out fine. Yeah. If you make everything transactional and everything about revenue immediately, I'm not saying revenue isn't important. It is. But if you make everything about that as your first thing, you will eventually find that people won't give you revenue because they think you're treating them as a cow that you're milking. Right. Right. Versus someone whom you're feeding grass and massaging and taking out for a walk. Yeah. No, that's a great, uh, it's actually a very good metaphor, this idea of true nurturing right. and cultivation as opposed to just putting the can under and, and milking the cow or trying to, and then right. the milk runs out, but you're still, you're just aggravating the cow. At some point, the cow is yeah. going to get pretty upset. And that's yeah. exactly what happens. You think about so many of these, from a business development standpoint, if you think about so many of these um, experts or gurus or whoever that are constantly sending out offer after offer after offer, yeah. It doesn't mean that they, you know, maybe they do have something of value, but it's at some point it becomes the boy or the girl who cried wolf. Yeah. Right? And, and usually even though some of the people I like, what they do is that 50% of the new stuff that they send is all about offers. And my step is I signed up to understand 
thinking that helped me. Right. I did not sign up to basically turn my money over to you and buy various things that you want me to buy, none of which are applicable after a point to what I actually want. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's the very important thing. Everybody in your audience, we all do things for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons is to forward our own agenda. So when someone tells sure. me, I'm only doing it for the greater good of the glory of the world, I said, I don't believe you. <laughs> Even if you are doing that for the greater glory of the world, at least you enjoy the goodwill that's generated. Right. Right. You can't say I'm doing working, but I don't care what people think. But then I say if you if you do something and do not care what people think, I don't think you can do a good job. Right. Yes, exactly. No, I, I agree. Right. You can't you can't do something in a vacuum of an audience, right? Yeah. The audience is going to I won't use the word dictate, but they're certainly going to influence um the reality of the product that's going to come back to them. Right. And so that feedback uh is quite important. You you start somewhere and then you calibrate to your audience over time. And it sounds like that's what you've done with these four areas. Of course, your career spanned, you know, spanned quite some time. You've done a lot of different things. Um, but let's go back to these four questions for a second, because this was really fascinating to me. Being someone who primarily has focused on business development throughout my limited career, but ha but someone who's been incredibly fascinated and and somewhat of a student in leadership and goal setting and, and other general success type principles, things that would fall into that category. It was really interesting, interesting to me to hear how you identified these four categories. So you, you kind of defined each one of them a second ago, you know, what does the future look like? How do we navigate change? How do we become better leaders? How do we grow as a, how do we grow as a human? How do we become a better person? Um, so take, take us, maybe give us a, a brief description of each of those four questions sure. and give us a little bit more around each of those. Definitely. So the four questions really are, number one, how do you manage to think about the future? How do you want to think about the future? And there I very quickly basically say, look, we all have to think about the future because we spend the rest of our lives there. I define strategy as future competitive advantage, and I should be chief strategist of an 80,000-person company. And my basic belief is you try to understand what people want in the future, you try to understand what technology will look like in the future, and you try to understand what competitors might look in the future, and then what advantage are you going to give to those future consumer needs against those future competitors uh -huh. is the way you think about it. So I basically identify what I call future trends. And those are globalization and demographic shifts and the rise of technology and now COVID-19 and that's implications. Right. So there is the future, but in order to get there, we ourselves are going to have to change ourselves. So the second section really, or the second question is how do you navigate change? And there my underlying basic belief is that a lot of companies forget that change isn't just about mergers and acquisition and a strategy and a reorg, but it's also about understanding that people don't like change and change sucks. So how do you make change positive for people? How do you incentivize people to change? And how do you train people to change? So that is my section about if you want to make change happen and you want change to suck less, don't just stop at strategy, M&A, and reorg. Think about why it's good for your employees or why it's good for your team or why it's good for you. What are you going to do? What incentives do you have to change? Maybe as an individual, your incentive is if you don't learn new things, you lose your job. But right. you know, what are the incentives? And then the third is training, which is a lot of people basically say, yeah, we're going to do this, but they don't invest in training. So if you ask me to do something that I'm not good at, but I'm capable of doing, you have to provide me with training, it's not going to come like immaculately. Right. So that's right. the second area of change. The third one that people are struggling with is the sole idea of how do they be better leaders. And a leader is not the same as a boss. So I described that everybody can be a leader. A boss is a title. A leader is something that people want to follow. And if you have nobody reporting to you, don't worry. Just look in the mirror. you got at least one person who will follow you. Right. But that person wants to basically understand if you're a good leader. And I define the elements of leadership as these, this sort of six-pack. And one of them is competency. you got to be competent. 
The second is you have to basically manage time in such a way you invest for today and tomorrow. And the third is you've got to be trusted. And even if you're only reporting to yourself, do you trust yourself? Are you building your competencies? Are you making sure that you're both enjoying today, but also planning for tomorrow? So if you see a chocolate cake, maybe you eat half of it now and save and freeze half of it. If you eat half of it now, it means you're keeping yourself healthy. And if you're freezing half, it's just saving for a rainy day, right? So that whole idea of, of you know, sort of dealing with and managing leadership, can you be a good leader? So part of it is that short-term, long-term trust and transparency, and obviously the whole aspect of competency. But the other three aspects are empathy, thinking about other people, vulnerability, being willing to say you're wrong, surrounding yourself with complementary skill sets. And then the last one besides is inspiration because people choose with their hearts and they use numbers to justify what they just did. So, you know, my basic belief is, are you competent? Are you managing time well? Can you be trusted? You know, do you have empathy, vulnerability, and inspiration? So that's my third area of leadership. And the last area is what I call upgrading your mental operating system. And then how do you continue to grow and learn? And that's everything from investing in learning, building a case for the exact opposite, recognizing that your career is a long one and from time to time would be tossed to the ground and broken. So how do you repair yourself? And all of those four, if you notice, are true whether you're young or old. It's true regardless of country or industry, man or woman, gender, ethnic, sexual preference. We all want to have strive in the future. We all want to manage change. We all want to be leaders and we all want to grow. Yeah. And that's what I write about. Yeah. That's tremendous. Thank you. Thank you for uh, ex- expanding and expounding on that. That's excellent. Um, I want to dive into sure. a little bit about your consulting work, your advisory work. I know that you obviously write prolifically. Yep. You've got uh, this latest book, Restoring the Soul of yep. Business, which yes. uh, is doing well. You said it was published by HarperCollins. And then um, as in your doing speaking, uh, but now there's this advisory role that you play um, describe for everyone, because a lot of the folks who are listening and watching, you know, they may be authors and speakers as well, but they're certainly advisors, consultants, coaches, et cetera. The nature of the work that you do, uh, maybe describe that a little bit and, and how, what does a, what does a typical engagement look like? How does that sure. kind of dissect in your world? So the, the way I look at it is the following. I, I, I have certain, there are three types of companies I work for. So my advisory business is no different than what I claim to be my deliverable in my writing and speaking business. Okay. Uh, and that basically is, I'll help you see, feel, and think differently about how to grow yourself, your team, and your company or business, right? So I write about that, I speak about that, and I advise about that. The difference is in the advisory, in the speaking, in the writing business, I do what to many. Mm-hmm. I write for this audience who I don't know, but it's one to many. In my speaking business, it's one to some. In my advisory business, it tends to be one to one. Okay. And the closer I get to one to one, the more it's basically me versus an interface. So it's not me you get every Sunday, it's words I've written that you get every Sunday. In the one to one, I'm actually talking to the C-level executive. Right. not seeing they may be seeing, obviously, today in the Zoom world, a video of me, but I'm on the other end of the video. I've not pre-taped it for them. Right. Right. I right. might do that for a talk, but I won't pre-tape it for them. So the advisory business is the same, which is about seeing, thinking, feeling differently about growth, but it's one-to-one. It's highly customized. Uh, but my deliverable is that deliverable. Now, in doing that, I'm working at three different levels or three different types of companies. And the reason for the three different kinds of companies is not only because they're different types of companies, but because this allows me to have a diversified way of getting paid. So all of us have our own constraints when it comes down to expenses and income. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. Now, uh, I mean, now, relatively fortunate position because I've worked successfully for many years that 
I can basically, I, I don't need to do much uh, these days to generate the income necessary to cover my expenses, right? In fact, I started the second career assuming that I would be a total failure in my second career. <laughs> and so my wife basically said, what if you don't earn a single dollar for the rest of your life? What's going to happen? I said, I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Now it hasn't turned out to be that, but, sure. but, but in effect, I still, I'm pretending that my first 38 years did not happen. And can I be a self-sufficient? Can I pay all my bills? Right. It may be reduced now because I'm older. The kids have grown up and, you know, there's no mortgage or whatever, but can I pay all my bills doing my current work? Mm-hmm. Right. While also, can I build potential wealth doing my current work? Right. And so a lot of that really comes from the advisory business. Because yes, you can make money some writing, and yes, you can make money from speaking. But on an ongoing basis, the advisory business usually generates more money. There's money in the speaking business, clearly. But but I use those two much more as goodwill building and branding and advertising and helping people. And it's the advisory where if you're going to talk to somebody outside of one time, on an ongoing basis, helping them at some stage, they're going to have to pay you. Right. 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 I mean, unless they're like your kids or something. Right. <laughs> at some stage, you're going to do this forever. Right. So there I work with large companies. And the reason for large companies is I know how to work with large companies um, as to manage change. But large companies also have money they can pay you today. Mm-hmm. I work for private equity. And private equity is great because they sometimes have money, but they open you up into board and other opportunities, which pay some money, but they also give you some equity in the company. And then I work with startups and startups are exciting and they don't have any money and they give you funny money in paper. Right, right. And maybe the paper in most cases will be worthless, but in some cases it might be worthwhile, right? So potentially you go from like the top level is you're doing income stream and the bottom level, you're doing speculative betting. But what happens is you can't take a speculative piece of paper a startup has given you and hand it to the city of the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago as a way to pay your property taxes. Right. Uh, A tax bill that requires cash and my board seat or my um you know startup paper will not make them happy right like i said this could be very valuable one day (laughs) you want cash exactly so part of what i advise people is if you can try to diversify your client base and try to diversify your client types Okay. The reason for diversifying your client base is because if you're highly reliant on just one client and they have a bad year, they That's can kick you out and you're done. Right. I, I'm not saying you like a flitter around, but you do that. Now, because of a second, and so these are real constraints that real people deal with. Mm-hmm. Then there's a second constraint that I've added and everybody has their second one. Mine is a little bit insane but I'm not suggesting that the second one be added by people, but there may be a personal agenda item you want to add. Sure. In addition to the fact, okay, I've got to have diversified client base, et cetera. My, my personal agenda is I don't want to end up actually having to do real work. Okay. What do I mean by real work? A lot of people say you work really hard, it's real work. But what I mean by is I owe someone a deck. Okay. I, I actually have a client who can yell at me. I actually am having to manage people. I don't want to do any of that. Right. Okay. Now, do I think those things are damn valuable and important? Yeah, but I did that for 38 years. I (laughs) didn't want to do that. I don't want to do a lighter version of what I used to do. I want to do something different. Yeah. Right. Right. My stuff is I won't work for most people for more than two to three days a month at maximum. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a result, it allows my client set to be far more diversified. Yep. Because because in effect, you know, and by, by saying two days, I don't actually show up physically two days, not that be even in the old days when we could right. actually show up. But it's the equivalent of, hey, I'm available all month long. Anytime you want to call, 
the times I talk to you would probably end up in the equivalent of two days. But I don't monitor anything by hours of cost. And I don't do anything by the hour. So nobody pays me by the hour. So my stuff is I either have a retainer, I give a talk, or it's free. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sitting here with a meter doing stuff because I don't do that either. Right. Uh, So by its very nature, I self-select. My customers self-select. Because some customers say, we don't want someone who will just provide us with advice and approaches and point us in the right direction. We want somebody to write the deck and manage something for us. So I'll say, agree. You, if that's what you need, I'm not the answer. Right. So part of what I advise people to do is, you can't say you're the answer to everything. So decide what the answer is and recognize that in every, in every constraint that you put on someone outside because it frees you up, it also puts a constraint on your ability to earn an income. And so if you need income, you know, you need income today to pay bills and income, then what you have to basically do is reduce the number of constraints you have because you want to be as hireable as possible for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Right? If you need no income at all, then maybe you help people free completely. In my particular case, I... If I'm going to help large companies who benefit from my advice, I would like to get paid. Thank you. Yep. Right. Sure. Uh, but it's not like every time I talk to somebody, I say, okay, you pay me. In fact, 70% of the time, well, 70 is probably about 50 to 60% of my time is spent completely doing free stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's because if someone helps me, people like, like I'm doing something right now. I'm not charging you. I write, right. I, I write my weekly. I'm not charging anybody. Right. I help someone in a class. I'm not charging them. If a friend calls and says, give me just three hours of advice, I'm not charging them. Right. So, but that's the other thing you have to sort of balance. But recognize that the more you charge today and you fill 100% of your time just charging, mm-hmm. you're actually draining the battery. Not only you're overworking, but you're draining the battery because you're not building the goodwill. Huh. Okay. I had, uh, I had uh, not thought, I had not considered. Yeah. So you, like you want to. Op- it's like a reverse opportunity cost. It's a reverse opportunity cost. So what you want to basically do is decide for what your life stage is and your life circumstances are. How I, I can't give anybody what the exact answer is because everybody has the right answer. Right. But my basic belief is ask what benefit you're delivering, minus help you see, think, feel indifferently. Decide what are the ways you're going to go to market. In mind, it's one to many, one to some, one to one. Decide how you are going to charge and what constraints you're going to put on yourself, recognizing that that combination will decide how much you earn. Right? Yep. And finally, remember that whatever you do, this is a long game. So you can't basically charge all the time without building goodwill, without building your brand, without building something. Because at some stage, you'll be sucked dry and you'll be like the cow, but with the udder that's empty and with no way to eat grass. Right, okay? right. And you, don't, you, you don't want to be in that circumstance. But again, you have to have that hierarchy and there is no correct answer. So it's, it's like, you know, if someone basically says, have you regretted any investment decisions you have made? They ask me, Right. I would basically say I probably, in hindsight, have regretted every single in investment decision I made. Okay, because in hindsight, you probably regret ninety-five percent of the decisions you made. Why? Because either you bought something whose price went down, so you regret that. Right, right. Or you bought something whose price went up, and you regret you didn't buy more of it. That's okay. Or you bought a lot of something and then you sold half of it and the price went up even further and you regret that you didn't hold on to it. Or the price went down and you regret that you didn't sell all of it when you could sell all of it. So every decision, if you think about it, is a wrong decision. Looking forward, looking backward, I mean, looking, looking forward, you, you know, you, 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 because you don't know. Look at backward. It's impossible unless you had all the facts and you made the perfect decision. So similarly in this, don't, 
I tell people don't get like worked up. And that's one of the reasons I have this diversified plan. Yeah. Right. Which is whatever I do, it won't destroy me. Right. 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 But nothing I do will ever be perfect. Right. Right. And, and, and you and you're knowing that you're accepting it on the front I'm end. I'm accepting. I'm accepting that. Even though I accept that my stuff is, how could it not be perfect? Right. 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 But, but but at least my whole stuff is. Hey, I know it's not going to be perfect. So at some particular stage, I'll have a drink and say, "Come on, no human." Right. 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 Uh, and human, by definition, is imperfect. Right. Yep. Um. So my mind is a little bit blown. Sure. Uh, because I hadn't. Um, I. Mean, everything's fantastic. I've been taking notes here sure. uh, as fast as I could. I'm going to go back and listen to this recording <laughs> multiple times. Um, and I trust that everyone who's listening and watching has also got uh, copious notes, but my mind is a little bit blown, blown specifically on this. I wrote down looking backwards, every decision is a wrong decision, but that's okay. Yes. Uh, and that's, and that's the point that you're making is we want to look out in the future, make the best decision we possibly can, but understanding with 2020 hindsight, it's, it's, it, don't, don't try to make the perfect decision because you're going to fail anyway. You're going to fail anyway. Don't, don't create stress there. Yeah. And so the only things you don't want to do is you obviously you want to think about your decisions. You can't basically right. say, well, all my decisions are wrong. I might as well jump out of the window. That's right, 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 right. Yeah, it doesn't give you liberty to, to, doesn't to, give you right to do anything. Right. But basically says, hey, at some stage, making a decision is better than like fretting over it all the time. Exactly. And a big part of what I suggest to people. I you know they're obviously there there are in fact I might it's one of the topics I will write about. I might be writing in the next two, three weeks. So when this comes out, people may see it. If I mm-hmm. it's still germinating in my mind, but one of the things I'm thinking about is writing a piece on decision making. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Which is like how do you make decisions? And what I've determined is that there are different types of decisions. You know, Jeff Bezos calls certain decisions what he calls Revolving door decisions and open and shut door decisions. So a revolving door decision is a decision to go see a movie or, you know, go to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Let's say the movie was bad or the restaurant was bad. You can go to another restaurant the next day or another movie. Right. It's irreversible, right? But open and shut door decision is deciding to marry somebody or divorce somebody. Now, obviously it's not open, shut and door because you can obviously marry people and then divorce them and marry someone else. But those decisions tend to be ones that you want to take a little more time on because they're not easy to reverse. Right. Right. So he talks about that, but there are a couple of other ones. And that's the thing. One is there's some decisions that you don't have to think about. Just let it happen and then react to what happens and then make your decision. Which is do the experiment and then versus thinking about how to do the experiment, just do the experiment. So as I tell people, it's one of the reasons like when I said like we'd like to hire you as a speaker, I said, look, I tell you what, let me do something for you free quickly. So you don't have to worry about it. Once quickly you'll see it, you can then decide whether it's worth it or not. Well, you'll, you'll have to spend hours fretting about it. So that's one of the reasons I have videos on my site, I have my writing. I said, just read this and watch this. You can decide whether it's good or not. Why are you fretting? I said, it's not worth my time. It's not worth your time, right? By the time you're fret, I could have already had impact on your organization and improved its productivity by 5%. What are you thinking about? So right. those are what I call high T versus espresso decisions. <laughs> and espresso is you press a button, it comes out, and you drink it. Yeah. High T is the whole Ghana elegant process. Yeah. You can't have high T every morning when you get up. It's not the right thing to do. Right. On the other hand, you don't want to basically go into, you know, whatever, the Ritz, and say, I'd like an espresso at high tea. Right. So, it's just a problem. Okay, so, and, so those are second level of decision. And the third level of decision, really, is understanding that often what you think is a decision is not a decision at all. You've just invented a reason to make a goddamn decision. <laughs> you've made a decision to make a decision. Nobody even asked you for a decision. <laughs> you think you've come to a decision point that you never actually came to. Right. So I'm laughing, are, but I can think of examples of that. Yeah, and so those are things. And so what is happening is for people who have listened to this or seen this or watched this or heard this or whatever, what if, if, you know, we've done our conversation right, 
the takeaway should be the following. Number one, hey, this thing makes sense and actually is the way I actually think. This is not like some elaborate AI scent kind of thinking he's talking about. That's number one. Number two is I've learned something from this that can actually help me right away. Right. Right, which is this is important. And number three, I like myself better because you know what? Life is good, but sometimes it's difficult. But because it's difficult, it's not my fault. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this has absolutely been phenomenal. Thank Most you. I, I, I could not recap the takeaways better than you did. Um, that is fantastic, Rashad. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, as a lucky strike extra, which we never got to talk about for people who are marketers and are thinking about marketing, right? Yeah. It talks a little bit about a piece that's very, very popular, which I wrote two weeks ago, at least as, as of this recording called the ABCDE of marketing, right? Where I just take the five elements of marketing, audience, brand, content, data, and enterprise, and show the three ways that it has changed over the last five years, three ways audience has changed, three way brands has changed. And maybe you could put a link to that Absolutely. piece in, in, in the notes and people can go look at, take a read at it. But it basically, and I'm eventually going to also put a video of me delivering it at the Association of National Advertisers, right. uh, which I you know, did some time ago, uh, a version of that so people can even see the video version. But in the end, regardless of what business you're in, all of us are salespeople. Right. So this helps you think about marketing. Yep, absolutely. No, it's a fantastic piece. Um, and uh, breaks it down beautifully. I would absolutely encourage everyone to check out that piece as well as any or all of what Rishad has written there and made available. Um, thank you again for your time. As we wrap Welcome. up here, can you share once again, you shared some of it at the beginning, but if someone wants to um, engage in your world, sure, uh, subscribe to the newsletter, find out more about you, potentially work with you in sure. some way, what's the best way for them to access you? So the 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 best way really is just to go to rishadtobaccoala.com, which is my website, which will show up if you just put in my first name, R-A-S-H-A-D on Google. Okay. So rishadtobaccoala.com, uh, which basically, if you look at, uh, you could learn by blog, everything else. To get my newsletter, you can I republish it on my blog, on my right. website. But to get the newsletter, which is the best way to get it, is rishad.substack.com. So that's r-i-s-h-a-d.substack.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and then I'm on Twitter at Rishad. Excellent. That is phenomenal. Um, Perfect. If at some point in the future you are willing, I'd love to have you back as a guest. In the I, 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 would I would love to do that. And meanwhile, let all your friends know that I exist and maybe I could be of help. If nothing else, if they read my stuff, because then they'll say, hey, maybe he's cool. And that's all I need. Oh, that's, that's very nice. Very gracious. Uh, thank you so much, Rashad. I appreciate your time and I'll look forward to being in touch. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, Visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website, and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.